introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way, find a way. Hey, 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 it's Christoph Wrights of the Poet Life Podcast. I'm here with Crystal Stone. Crystal Stone, how are you? Good. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. I, you know, the way we connected is just an amazing situation here. So Crystal, Crystal is our new blog manager. And what's so great about it is, you know, Kelsey, Kelsey Bigelow was our previous blog manager. And she has, you know, some some projects and, and some art of um, some things that she's working on. And so she wanted to make sure she, she has some time and, 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 you know, some space to really work on those projects. But, you know, what's so awesome about Kelsey is that she referred Crystal to uh, kind of be her successor and make sure that we didn't lack at all. And Crystal jumped right in. And matter of fact, just go to thepoetlife.com slash blog, and you'll see what we're saying. The last two or three episodes, I'm sorry, uh, blog posts are all Crystal Stone. So check out her writing style. And uh, well, we're about to meet Crystal right here. So Crystal, thank you so much for coming on board. We really appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited about this journey. And like already, I feel like just like listening to episodes has got me thinking more about poetry and all of like the like little ideas I laid to rest for a while because I just didn't really feel like I had that like connection to the poetry community, you know, mm. with the pandemic. It's been like challenging yeah. to stay connected, especially because poetry is so much emotional labor, right? And this pandemic has caused all of us to kind of go inward so much that it's like exhausting to think and write poetry. But now as the world's opening up and their communities are sort of like reintegrating after the pandemic, well, it's, it's not over yet, right? Like not enough people yeah. are vaccinated. People are, um, you know, people are still dying from it and we need to still take it seriously. But as things are beginning to open up and people are beginning to get vaccinated, um, it just feels a little bit more normal. And mm -hmm. then you have the space for the inward reflection without it causing so much like emotional, such an emotional toll. that's all. Sure, no, most definitely, you know, and it's interesting you get that perspective um, because some some people found that, that because they had more time that they could write more. Yeah. You know? It's time to create an unforgettable experience at your next event with The Poet Life by booking a keynote poet. Poets excite your audience with motivating messages, charismatic delivery, colorful rhythm, powerful prose, and heart-filled stories with a style of spoken word that's tailored specifically to your event. The Poet Life has keynote poets in your city of all ages and backgrounds. Visit thepoetlife.com to learn more and book your poet today. Well, like for me, poetry is a conversation, right? Oh. Like, 
And well, I mean, that's one of the things it is. It's a lot of things for me, but one of the things it is is a conversation. And I feel like what I'm most inspired by is kind of like people watching, but that mm. doesn't really exist. And I did write for like the first like month or two of the pandemic, I wrote a lot. Um, Cause I was still in my MFA program. I was still reading poetry regularly and like talking with other poets. Um, but then I went into my own, like I started working as a resident life director at a nursing home in the height of the pandemic. Mm. And my job took like all of my time and energy and it was like emotionally taxing every day at work. So when I came home, I didn't, I didn't really have the time because the pandemic, because I was like on the front lines of the pandemic at the time. Wow. I didn't really have the time to write. And I definitely didn't have like the emotional endurance to um, put yeah. down everything that I was experiencing. But now that I've had some time away from it, I have a remote job. I've had a lot of time at home. I've been able to write new things. And it honestly inspired my time at the nursing home, inspired two different writing projects. One's called This Is Not a Poem. It's a mm. book that I'm writing about the experience of memory loss with dementia, people with dementia. Mm. Um, because I have PTSD and I have memory gaps too. So it's really interesting to me to think about the gaps that my residents have and what they can and can't remember and what I can and can't remember and how it shapes our identity. So right. that's what that book is about and it was inspired. And the other one is a children's book series that I'm working on with, she was actually the HR manager there. We both went separate ways. Um, neither of us work for that company anymore, but she's a children's book illustrator. And I was thinking there's poetry in children's books. So we'll make it like a poetry like children's book series explaining different like diseases that their grandparents might have that would put them in a nursing home. Wow. So, Wow, if you if you don't mind me asking, the PTSD was that a, tra a traumatic uh, situation or? Yeah, so like growing up, um, so my mom was an alcoholic, and there was like mm -hmm. a lot of like abuse in the home. Um, I talk a little bit about that in my TED talk, um, where like the judge didn't believe us until. Um, five years of fighting in court until she read a poem that I had written about the experience with my mom. And it changed her understanding because before she'd only seen like the police reports, but when she actually understood the emotional significance of what was happening, it changed her mind and it changed our custody arrangements. Um, so poetry changed my life from like a very young age and I've been pursuing it ever since to, to heal and to grow. And yeah. Wow. That, that is amazing because that's a very practical application of what poetry can do and how powerful it is. See, and I'm glad you say that because like I've been trying to convince people that poetry is practical for years because people are like, it's not practical. And I'm like, it helps us develop emotional literacy. And it, by helping us develop our emotional literacy, it helps us connect with other people. What's more practical than better connections with other people? I don't know, <laughs> you know, because networking gives us like job and life and soul, right. you know, like everything that we want in life comes from connections that we have with other people. So if we can have those in, in healthier, better ways, if we could learn to set boundaries, if we could learn um, to work through the, these thoughts and these moments and these feelings better. I think that our connections with people would improve. Oh, so, you know, in the short amount of time that we've known each other, uh, I think you can tell that 
Uh, I'm a visionary when it comes to what you can do with poetry. And so many ideas are in my head right now because what I think about, I ask the question, what more can poetry do for people? You know, and and you're just giving me so much because I get so many phone calls because we're an agency and we're a consultancy. And so organizations and institutions and companies call and ask. So tell me about your organization and tell me about, you know, the services that you provide and how can they add value to what we do? Right. Yeah. This is the client asking us and you're just expanding all of what we can do for so many other people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of felt that. So the reason I started asking that question, too, is because I was getting it so much. Right. Everyone. I, I started feeling really depressed because I'm like, wow, this thing that I love and I'm really good at is something that nobody values. And I was like, so I felt like I wasn't valuable because all I have to offer is poetry. So and then I decided to flip the question instead of like like assuming because people didn't already value it, they couldn't value it. I was like, how can I show people how practical poetry is, right? So that's why I have like a TV show idea. I have a children's book idea. I have um, a an idea for an app because my goal is, is to show people that poetry can be practical. Um, and like one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the past couple of years is just because people put you down or say you can't do something. It's not that they mm -hmm. don't want to believe in you. It's that they've never seen an example of it. And so you just have to prove to them that there is, there, there's value in whatever your, your ideas are because every visionary is coming up with something that hasn't been done before. And because you're exploring uncharted territories, there are going to be people who just don't know that it could work, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to see you successful. And so by like changing my mentality towards criticism and trying to prove it has me like pursuing all of these different ways that mm -hmm. art is practical and poetry can connect with science, with other arts, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You're doing exactly what my purpose was when starting with fighting, I'm sorry, the poet life and fighting cancer with poetry, actually, you know, because what I've done with the poet life is literally just wrote a list of the many things that we can do with poetry. And simply, instead of just giving examples, becoming the example, right? And so that's why there's Poet Life Podcast, right? Poet Life Gear, right? Where we wear the clothes and be a representative of the lifestyle that we live. Because the question when it comes to our gear is, who knows you're a poet? Right. Like if a stranger walked past you, would they would they recognize that you were po that you're a poet? Right. You know, if you had, yeah, I mean, listen, right. So it, but if you had some gear on that that said exactly, you know, the lifestyle that you live, they'd be like, oh, I mean, I, I think I had this on today and someone someone said someone said nice sweatshirt. And that was just a conversation starter. And most yeah. times that person loves poetry or they're a poet. Yeah. 
you know, because it connects with them and they can relate to it. So we had a great conversation and, you know, who knows, they might DM us or send us an email, go to our website, whatever. But yeah, it's, it's, it's inspiring people without even saying words. You know, I love that. Like a little marker of identity, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, if you think about it, all of the other industries have those markers, have those apparel, you know, um, hats, shirts, you know, sports, teams. You can wear teams, jackets and shirts and hats, right? Um, I can wear a Flyers jersey and everyone will know I'm from Philly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but what does the poet have? Right. A notebook, you know? <laughs> Right, and then you don't know like why they have the notebook. Exactly, why not be writing poetry? Yeah, exactly. So you know, our brand started as a clothing line. It started off as poet life gear, you know, and so it then it just started to evolve by having conversations with people, and even conversations with poets that believe that there's no money in poetry. Mm, yeah, you know, so. So having that mentality, um, that means you yourself, who has a passion for the art, believes that there's no value in the art that you have a passion for. Right. Right. So why would others if you didn't, if you don't? Yeah. And that's what's really important. It's like you, you have to realize that, like, well, if I find this valuable and it's helping me, what what why is it helping me what does it do for me because what it's doing for me it could do for somebody else exactly. right so it's just shifting the conversation yes. um, yeah and i think like what most of life is right it's just sure. like relearning things that you grew up here <laughs> yes yes and that's that's where my initial nonprofit came in called fighting cancer with poetry because i had a close friend of mine who was diagnosed with sarcoma cancer at the age mm -hmm. of 18, freshman year in college, mm -hmm. and I think Coppin State University in Baltimore. And he fought strong, hard for seven years, and he passed at 25. Mm -hmm. And But he didn't start writing poetry until after he was diagnosed with cancer. But he was so good, I didn't even know that. I thought he was writing poetry, you know, since he was a kid. But his mother told me that after the fact, right? And after he passed. And so he, he wrote, I think he wrote a, a series of like 12 poems or something like that uh, between those seven years. And it, it, after reading them, they basically, you could tell they chronicled his whole journey with, with cancer. Mm -hmm. And that just told me that he found something that could help him cope uh, find a place of peace, but also inspire others and produce something that lives on after he, he passes, you know, yes, extending his life because exactly. a legacy. Him. Yes. So we've published, we published his book, you know, his, his book of poetry and, but, but we started the nonprofit because again, if, if that, if poetry could do that for him, it could do it for other people. It could do it for other people, and it has, you know. So, 
That is so true. That is so true, man. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. So where are you from? Um, I was born in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My brother was born in Detroit, but we grew up outside of Philadelphia. So in a bunch of like little towns outside of the city. Okay. Okay. So at what age, right? And, and where, where did poetry come in for you? Um, so I guess I've been writing for a while. Like when I was in fourth grade, I was in the young authors, uh, um, conference or club or whatever it was called. Mm -hmm. And I like hand bound a little book that I had written on a floppy disk. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I remember those. Yep. Um, but, um, I ended up taking a high school English class when I was in eighth grade because I was bored and they put me. I was bored, I told my gifted teacher, so she bumped me up and I took this creative writing class, which is where I wrote the poem about um, grappling with my mom's alcoholism and some of the abuse that I had growing up um, from her. And um, I, in seventh grade, ended up writing a letter to the judge and including some poems and it changed the custody decision. And um, that's really what inspired me. And around the same time, um, I had been religious as a child. I am not um, now, like I'm not Christian um, at this point. I like go to Buddhist meetings sometimes, but that's like the extent, like I, I'd say I'm spiritual, but not religious. But when I was younger, I was, and I went to this prophetic group and um, they told me to put up my hands and they didn't really know me. And they said that um, they saw honey flowing from the stone that there, that, um, whatever that Bible verse is uh, where the honey's mm. flowing from the stone. They said that they saw that I was anointed to write, that my writing would bring healing to me and other people. And I didn't really think much of it at the time, but I was a writer and I enjoyed it, but I never really saw myself being like growing up to be a poet with many books out. I mean, I'd always wanted that, but I didn't really like, I didn't have the vision at the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, all that happened around the same year and that ended up being like, what my TED talk is about. So it ended up having a lasting effect. Wow. Okay. So we're, we're, we're going on a journey right now, right? So you have books out. I do. I do. I have three books out. Um, the first one's Knock Off Monarch. It came out in 2018 by Dawn Valley Press. My second book is called All the Places I Wish I Died When I Struggle with Mental Illness. Um, and lots of like self-portraits. It's sort of like Taylor Swift meets Indie Lit. <laughs> um, and then my third book is called Gym Bras, and it's like a feminist gym manifesto written in very narrative poetry. So it's very different from my earlier works. Um, I have a book forthcoming to next spring. It's called Civic Duty. It's a chapbook coming out by Vegetarian Alcoholic Press. And um, it was like I, I participated in the caucus and we had been quarantining and there was a census and I had jury duty and it was like all around the same time. And I'd always thought all of these like civic duties were like really romantic. But in actuality, all of the civic duties, like even quarantining and lockdown are like very boring. And so I was trying to find the poetry and the boredom and it's more interesting than it sounds. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm. I'm, and I'm sure it reads more interestingly. So, uh, where can they you want find? Me to read a poem? Sure, sure. Go ahead. I, I was thinking about that, um, like what poem I would share. But I was thinking the one about the Iowa caucus would be interesting. I'm cool. just pulling it up 
of my computer. Sure, I would love to hear. Little... I'm sure others would as well. Yeah, I feel like if, if we're having a, it's a poetry podcast, just talk, we should have a poem in here. Sure, most definitely. All right, I'm just finding out. Cool, cool. I'm excited about it. <laughs> so can we find it on Amazon or? Um, so my first three books should be on Amazon now. My fourth book isn't out yet. It's coming out. Okay. We, we were trying to plan it so it would come out around midterm elections because the book was like, it's it's not really, it's not political. Like I'm not, there's no slant. Like I'm not like sharing views like that, but just because regardless of what you believe, I believe everyone should be voting because your voice matters. Like that's why we live in like a democracy. So, sure, most definitely. I was looking in my Google Drive. I found it. Okay. Last Iowa caucus. Once open, the wine is a glassy rose in our cups. We cheer politely next to the dying dog. He labors to breathe like my own the day her stomach filled with blood like a patched and swollen moon. The moon doesn't make it dark. My friend tells her child when the, eye, the child's eyes become planetary with questions. We have all been orbiting the food, the words, the songs. A friend heads to the piano to play the grief we're all avoiding. Another reads tarot cards, tells us what we need to hear. Outside next to the lake, mice and rabbit tracks are not parallel lines. I wonder who started the chase or if they were friends meeting for the first time. Well, we cross over politely. The geese and swans share the open water, the icy beach. On the other side of the bridge, a man corkscrews the ice open. The splinters on the surface extend, fingers of an open palm waiting to be held. Beautiful. So, it, see, it's not really political, but sure. it's no, a yeah. big duty. Yeah. So. Sure, sure. Let me. Let me ask you about your TED talk. Sure. How did that come about? Um, so I was being interviewed to do a service trip and the guy says, well, what are you passionate about? And it doesn't have to be service. Just tell me something you're passionate about. And I was like, I love poetry. And he was just like, he listened to my whole little spiel on why poetry is valuable and all my like little like brain children. And he's like, you know, we have an opening for TEDx. He's like, I think you'd really enjoy it. You should look into it and see and, and apply. So I did. I looked into it. Um, so first you just had to write like a little blurb um, about like what you wanted to talk about. And then if they liked that blurb, they'd call you in for an interview where they'd want you to give like an outline of your talk. Um, so I came in with an outline and they asked me a bunch of questions about it. And then they were like, okay, we like your ideas. Um, and they had like workshops that every, every speaker who was going to do there, who was going to give a Ted talk had to attend because Ted has like a certain standard and a certain way that they want you to like give a narrative. Um, so I took those classes and then I, I gave my Ted talk. So it's a TEDx, so it was like a local local version. And I'd like to get on the main TED stage someday, but I guess I feel like there's more I have to accomplish before yeah. I, I'll be accepted there, which is probably in my head, but you know. Yeah, what was your topic? 
Um, so I talked about how poetry can help us develop emotional literacy. So um, narratives are great, but what poetry does is sort of compress emotional moments and allow us to experience things in ways that, it, well, narrative, because poetry can be narrative too, but poetry gives us accent, access to very small concentrated moments and allows us to really like dwell in that moment and understand those moments in ways that narratives don't always do. Um, and of course, every poem has the opportunity to do other things too. But in general, I think that the more we read and write poetry, we improve our ability to communicate with other people and we learn um, how to process our emotions by seeing how someone else has processed theirs. Sure, sure. How was the response from the audience afterwards? Well, actually it was really powerful. So um, I told my story about being in court and how we fought um, for five years and the judge wasn't really listening, even though we like, you know, had police documentation. Um, they weren't like sure they could really believe a 10 year old kid. Uh, Cause that, the first time I went and I spoke to the judge in the judge's chambers, I was um, in third grade. And the first time I was on the stand, I was either nine or 10 years old. At this point, it's been so long, I kind of forget um, the exact age, but it was nine or 10 years old. And, um, there was a woman in the audience who was step, a stepmom for like a couple of kids. She had, she also had five kids and I'm the oldest of five kids. And she had been fighting for a couple of years and worried about her stepchildren, which she saw as her own children and the situation they had with their mother. And she said that hearing my talk, um, it was the first hope she had that like the, there would be a light at the end of the tunnel with um, their court situation. So, um, the audience didn't necessarily talk about poetry, but I connected because I met other people who were like children witnesses, which I've never met before. I thought I was just like alone in that experience. So I thought that was kind of powerful and exciting. Wow. Did they share with you that that I guess helped them to experience explain what they went through or well no i mean like this was like immediately afterwards it mm. wasn't like a gap of time but the person in the audience said like they were like really feeling discouraged with the custody battles with this kid's mom and the idea that like poetry helped my uh like the judge that i was seeing understand the emotional significance gave her hope and inspired her um in her own situation that that things would end up working out in the end. So it gave her hope, which I think is like important. <laughs> I don't know. Even if it wasn't about poetry specifically, I'm still happy that I was able to like connect with another person. Right. And I gave my TED talk again at Eastern Arizona Community College because I um I knew a professor there and she really was inspired by it. So she asked me to come give the talk to her students. So um, I flew out to Arizona and I gave a talk, the same talk again. I'm curious to know what pushed you to read that poem at or in court? Well, so I sent it to the judge. Um, I don't, I don't know. I didn't read it like in front of my mom or anything. Um, I think I was just, 
it was, it was kind of like a last ditch effort. It was every year for five years, we'd miss school for one or two days to go to court. Sometimes they'd pull me in, sometimes they wouldn't. I think I only got pulled in twice. Um, the one time in the chambers and the other time in front of the court because my mom fired her lawyer, her lawyer quit on her. Not really sure, the details are a little fuzzy. Um, but I had to go on the stand because when, well, when my mom had a lawyer, I could go in the judge's chambers with just the lawyers. But when she didn't, um, they had to put me in the stand because there was no lawyer but my mom to represent herself in the room. So it didn't make any sense to to not just be on the stand and testify against her in front of her <laughs> as wow. a tenure. <laughs> wow. What about your other siblings? Were they there or... So my brother is like a year and a half younger than me and he was there. Um, my three sisters are half sisters from another marriage. So they weren't um, in the beginning and weren't born. <laughs> mm. <laughs> beginning of these battles. Um, and then they were like too young. They, they wouldn't have participated at all. Sure, sure. So going forward, knowing that your poetry kind of like saved your life, right? You know, what happened after that as far as you writing poetry, knowing what poetry could do? Well, you know, I don't even know if I saw it in that that year of my life. I didn't see uh. it as the one that changed my life. It was when I was having that sort of like existential depression, like when I got into my MFA program and I was like, I'm only good at poetry. Why does this matter? Because nobody wants to pay poets. So, you know, like I just sort of had this existential crisis. And then I was thinking about like, what has poetry done for me? And I looked back at my life and I saw what poetry was doing and what it could do for not just me, but other people. And that's when I started seeing all these connections in ways that like poetry like helped me through. And honestly, my mom was a poet. Um, and wow. I found some of her poems after she passed, you know, and I wish I had gotten to know her outside of her alcoholism because I feel like there's a lot of ways, as embarrassing as it is, because of the way that like, I've elegized her, I guess. Um, but we're, we have a lot in common. She loved cooking. She loved poetry. She um, was kind of quirky and, um, you know, I mirror her in some ways, whether I wanted that to be true sure. or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have you found a way to kind of transcend and share with others who have PTSD or other traumatic, you know, situations in the past to show them that you know uh, you can use uh, creative devices to to you know um, express themselves. I mean, I think sharing my story helps, but I think, um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know specifically <laughs> like yeah. how many people I've helped or whatever. And mm. people don't always tell you when they're fans. Right. Like I have a couple of people that I know that like, they really were inspired by my poetry and they now like follow me and we talk about poetry or we exchange poems. Um, but I, we haven't talked about it in terms of like PTSD and mental illness and healing. Um, they've talked about it like, Oh wow, this like really spoke to me and th this thing you did or th this moment of the poem. Right. right. Uh, wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Good. The reason I ask because um, I would love to see like the intentionality, right? And and like I don't know, connecting with other organizations that service people um, with with PTSD. Yes. Yes. Uh, thought about that right so I in my last year of the MFA program I took a class on cellular and molecular neurobiology because I called Tulane University they have an interdisciplinary PhD program and I had an idea for combining poetry into like PTSD treatments and so I called them and I said hey I have an MFA in poetry I have a bachelor's in poetry do you care like if you take a cellular molecular neurobiology class and like volunteer in a lab, we'll like consider your application. Right. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So, um, I took that class, but I don't, it was, it was hard. <laughs> and I did get, I still, I still got it. My friend Jenny, like helped my hand through the class. <laughs> but, um, I just wasn't like confident enough in my ideas yet to pursue a PhD in that. It's definitely something that I've thought about and been interested in exploring. Um, actually, when I was living in Iowa, I met this woman and um, I forget what kind of surgery her son had, but her son had a surgery. And while he was having the surgery, they did some sort of like, like drum rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. So every time it, it was something... Yeah, I don't remember what the surgery was, but anytime he had an anxiety attack afterwards, if they tapped in the rhythm of that drum, it would, if he was having a genuine panic attack, it would help, right? And it would completely stop that. And so there is links between music and rhythm mm -hmm. and the brain and healing, right? So I think there's definitely something to unlock there with poetry as well. Um, but yet to be done, I think. Sure, yeah. <laughs> because another thing to add to my list of all the things I need to do before I die. <laughs> sure. sure, no, but there's there's music therapy, you know, there's, there's, I think there's even dance therapy, right? There's no reason why it couldn't be poetry therapy. Yeah. You know? Art therapy is real, right? So, uh, and as you've, you know, so eloquently spoken, it helped you, right? Um, even to this day, let me ask you, has, do you write to keep yourself sustained or when do you write and why do you write? I write all the time. Well, recently I've written all the time. I, I mean, everyone goes through phases where they don't write. Um, but usually I'm inspired from people watching. I'm inspired from the nature I see around me. When I was living in Iowa, there was a trail I would skate every day. So I started noticing different insects and different um, animal life at different seasons. And because I went to the same place every single day, I noticed even very subtle changes. I noticed the frogs being, or yeah, I think they're frogs. The frogs are toads. They were like this big. And then all of a sudden at one season, they were all teenagers. So I saw big frogs on the trails. 
Um, then certain seasons you see caterpillars, certain seasons you see dandelion snow. And so all of that sort of became metaphorical in my poetry, all the changes mm -hmm. that I saw in the same place. Um, the emotions that I feel when I'm encountering new people. Sometimes you meet a stranger and they have such a different perspective than you that you rethink yourself. And so a poem is the only way you can articulate that sort of like the gap between who you are and who they are, right? Right. Um, so I write into that gap. Um, sometimes I hear a line of dialogue that changes my opinion about things. Like there's this, <laughs> I was at a cafe once. And this guy's like, yeah, I have a lot of trouble hearing women's voices. <laughs> it's just like a metaphor. Um, <laughs> because he's like having trouble hearing his wife's voice because she's like, he's like, yeah, it's just like such a high pitch. I just like can't hear it. And I'm like, I'm like all right. <laughs> Glad one, one person here believes that. <laughs> so your children's book, is that is that going to be, well, it's a series of books, yes? Yeah. Is that so, that's gonna be poetry too? Well, I was thinking that it would probably be like rhyming, which mm. would make it poetic um, and rhythmic. But I, that's not necessarily gonna be like a poem. It's not gonna be like one poem. It's gonna mm -hmm. be like a poetic story. So sure, sure, sweet, sweet. Are you working on that now, or what, what's what's the timeline on that? Well, I was supposed to meet with the artist um, this weekend, but I drove to Tulsa to see if I liked it. <laughs> uh, so we rescheduled. Um, so we haven't had like, we're still in like the very beginning brainstorming phases, like where we're like reading the children's literature that's already on like dementia and Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And then um, we're gonna begin the work of, well, probably what would happen is we'll come up with a story idea together. I'll write it, send it to her. She'll illustrate, send it back to me. And then I'll probably be the one querying agents since I'm like the writer and she's the artist. Um, but again, we still have to <laughs> working those details out. Um, we just kind of, I just kind of like threw the idea out there because we had talked about it when we worked together. And then mm -hmm. recently, I've just been feeling energized to do all my creative projects again. And I was like, hey, are you still interested? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, great, let's do it. Cool, cool. So when Kelsey came to you, what were your thoughts when she shared with you about the open position for the blog manager? I, I was just interested in getting involved in poetry again. I have yeah. more downtime with my new job than I did before. So I was just excited to get involved in a project that like has similar values to me. So. Sure, sure, sure. Awesome. So which, epi well, yeah, which episodes did you, did you write on? Um, so far? Yeah. Though um, one about experiencing, excelling despite limitations in Nigeria. Mm. Um, there is no box in poetry. Um, knowing I'm the only, or what is it? Um, I'm my only competition in poetry. Those are the ones that I've written about so far. And tomorrow I'll write about the um, most recent one. It's about copywriting. What, what, what intrigued you the most out of those episodes, would you say? Well, I really loved how Cubs the Poet, we were, we were kind of talking about like yeah. Cubs the Poet, he like, goes to weddings and like writes poems and creates a book out of it. He does room yeah. service poetry. And right. I love the way that he's kind of expanded the genre. I feel like, I feel like if we met in person, we'd be friends and we'd have like very interesting conversations about how we could expand the genre. <laughs> like, right. 
It'd be super fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I thought the same thing. I was like, man, I love this guy, man. Yeah. We we are on the same wavelength, you know. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, I, I had planned to reach back out to him to pick his brain even more, you know, um, because that that's his full time, you know. That's his, crazy. His poetry. But I was just like, I am it's inspired on another level now. Um, that's good stuff. Uh, I, I'm so excited to have you on the team. Uh, me, too, me too. It's going to be uh, a good time. Yes, indeed. And and to know that you have, you know, so many ideas like Cubs, the poet and myself uh, on, on what, um, you know, so many lanes that poetry can be in. You know, you're working on an app as it relates to poetry and and some other things, children's book series and and you know, th that's what's needed in this poetry industry. You well, know. we all need to connect with each other too, which is what's so great about the poet life, bringing everyone together and hearing those ideas. Because again, like it feels disconnected sometimes being in yes. the poetry community because we all live in different places. And I yes. think that's like the one valuable thing the pandemic did was it forced us all to go online a little bit more and in different ways and be more intentional about the way that we're using the internet, the way that we're using social media and the way that we're connecting on our, um, you know, internet networks, right? Sure. Yeah. Like, I know when the pandemic started, I had 600 followers, around 600 followers on mm -hmm. Instagram. And I had planned a two month long book tour in New City every day. I was super excited to go. The pandemic came and I had to cancel my book tour. And I only had 600 followers and most of them were people that I had met or networked with at other events. And I had to find a way to grow my audience and do my book launch online. So I started looking for poets that were like me. Um, I found different publishers and I just started following them on Instagram. I looked at who was following the publishers and I'm like, well, if they're poetry publishers and these people are following them, they're gonna be poets that may be interested in what I'm saying and maybe like their stuff looks cool, I'm interested in connecting. And that's how I grew to have, I have like 2,400 followers now. Um, and I would never have really tried to change the way I use Instagram and Facebook and Twitter if it weren't for the pandemic forcing me to go online because I'm better in person because I like to connect with people and feel the energy of the room and like. Right. How did you connect with your your publishers? Um, so my first publisher I found because I was doing like blackout poetry. I was doing a blackout poetry page with my sister. And um, I was like, I saw that this other poet I had been following, he had just had a book come out. I was like, wow, congrats. I'm still looking for a publisher for my first book. And he goes, why don't you send it to mine? And I was like, okay. So I did. Um, that publisher, they only wanted you to send like a couple sample poems first. So I sent them a couple sample poems and they asked for the longer manuscript and then he accepted it. And I was like, okay, I signed the contract. Wow. <laughs> and then my second publisher, I met them at, or I, I learned about them at a lit fest in Kansas City that I went to. Um, I saw their stuff. I liked their aesthetic. Um, I got a couple books by them. And so I um, sent them my manuscript and they liked it. My third press, um, I found, mm, how did I find them? 
I think on Instagram. I think all of I think all of them I either met at a literary festival or I saw mm. them on Instagram and I liked their aesthetic, so I submitted to them. Um, because you know what's really what why a lot of people haven't been published, it's not that their work isn't good, it's that they're submitting to journals and they're submitting to presses that have different aesthetics than they do. Mm. And so for me, I was looking for presses that share my aesthetic. And I didn't necessarily do that with my first press. My first mm -hmm. press was like, it's just how it happened. Um, but after my first book, I was like, okay, this is what I'm looking for in a press, which my first one was fine. I had a good experience with my publisher. And I was proud of the amount of books that I was able to sell for first first book. Um, but yeah, as I approach public differently now now that I'm like familiar with mm -hmm. the process that I wasn't mm -hmm. familiar with on my first you know we yeah. all make yeah you grow process. sure you grow and evolve and find out more you learn more and find out you know you know what else that you know that you can do with it and um and you kind of some of some of it you learn how to do it yourself sometimes you yeah. know, especially with the marketing, just like you said, you know. Yeah, so important. It doesn't matter who your press is, you know, like my second press, um, Clash Books, they were just in Rolling Stone, one of their books. It's called In Defense of Ska. It's like number two in like music criticism books. Um, so they're they're well known, but it doesn't matter because like I still have to market my right. work because people don't know me right. and if people don't know me they're not going to buy my work even if the press is cool or like maybe a handful of people well but like it's important it's just as important for me to be pushing my brand and my poetry as it is for the publisher mm -hmm. but it is important too that you get a publisher who's invested in helping you market um and has a name and a good reputation too so it, yeah it's part of it sure has that helped at all you know their name their reputation well, I, I don't know if I would know that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it's hard because it happened during the pandemic. So my first book, I mm -hmm. sold around 400 copies, but I was touring, right? You know, oh, and wow. so I was selling them in person. Um, most of my sales were in person and not online. With right. this book, all of my sales have been online. Um, and it just came out in March. And I think we sold around a hundred copies. Nice. So I think that that's an improvement from the first book. Cause again, I sold 400 copies, but I was, I was touring and sure. this, this is like what, three years later, this is like, it just came out and I was able to sell around a hundred in the first couple months. So that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And I know I'll sell more eventually, but like, you know, Again, people right now, especially that things are opening up, people aren't doing like sitting at home reading as much anymore. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, Future-wise, right, with what we're doing here on the podcast, where do you think we can go with it? And what do you think we can add to the podcast since we're podcast, blog, well, we're audio, blog, and YouTube, right? So we're three-dimensional. Where do you think we can go from here? Okay, well, I think the one thing you could do is have all of the poets read at least one poem while they're giving an interview. Just because okay. if we're talking about the importance of poetry and we don't incorporate a poem, mm -hmm. it's ironic. <laughs> sure, sure. Because we're leaving poetry out of a conversation about poetry. Gotcha, gotcha. And I think that would be a good addition to the blog too, is like, 
to to post that one poem that they read mm -hmm. online on the blog post so we can give them a, like an opportunity for like a publication okay. as, as yeah it's so interesting for us to have been doing this for well we've been doing this for three seasons uh the first season that's what the format was right you know the guests and the hosts were you know sharing poetry but season two and season three you're the first person who even asked <laughs> for for like a po uh, a poet to like share some of their poetry. Oh wow! Yeah, you know, I think it's probably because the way we have it formatted, and you know, it's kind of like we're we're getting the business behind poetry, right? Yeah. And but I think, like you said, incorporating. You know the product of if we're talking business that you know yeah um uh i think that would be a, a great addition i like it i like yeah, it it's like, it's like when you see like advertisements for like beer but there's like no well or you know what i mean like if there's an advertisement mm -hmm. for a product but they don't incorporate the product at all right. like a calvin klein underwear ad not having like any clothes on it's like ironic right because you're like right. All these people are naked. They didn't even need the underwear. <laughs> why? Why would we buy it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know, That's good But you know, um, we even we even have people that are not poets on here as well. And uh, but the they the could read their poem. Yes. The one that inspired them in, to like get involved in the industry or something. You know. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Have you thought of some, you know, as you were writing and, and watching the episodes, have you thought of it, you know, several several ways that we can kind of enhance the podcast? Um, well, I don't I don't know right off the top of my head. I've been enjoying hearing the different journeys of the different poets. Yeah. Um, I like that the poets all approach poetry differently and like have their yeah. own like spin on it. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, like, I think it's already valuable. The only cool. thing that I notice is that, like, when I listen to poetry podcasts, even ones that are talking about craft, there's always a poem in them. Mm. That's what I was missing when I was listening is gotcha. there was moments of poetry, right? Like in knowing there is no box in poetry, yes. red line poetry, he talks about poetry being a sword and a first aid kit and mm -hmm. that Belt. And so there was poetry in that. And Cubs the poet, poets one. There's poetry in in the way that he talks about his love of poetry. But yeah. I still wanted a poem, you know, because like the way that we perform a poem or read a poem is also different from the way that we talk and communicate um, oh. in, in a narrative conversation, like what we're doing now. So yeah, no, for sure. That's that's a done deal. I'm game. <laughs> that's a done deal. So whoever's coming up here. As a guest, get ready. Have your <laughs> have your poem ready. You know, blame Crystal. I think that or, like or give credit or give credit to Crystal for uh, adding this element to the podcast. No, that makes a lot of sense, though. No, really. Uh, all jokes aside, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's always good to have perspective um outside looking in because you know i'm inside so it's just like 
you know, um, share, share your story and, and be an example, you know, give some examples, but for the most part, be an example for others. And Crystal, you're doing that. You're, you're being a, being an example, you know, um, sharing your journey and your, your story, that piece about you sharing your poem in court, that's heavy. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. No, that's good. Heavy though. That's, that's because, you know, because that just means some people that want to explain something or, you know, share a message or their story. And, you know, sometimes others are not listening. They'll listen to a, a poem. They'll, they'll look at a piece of art that that person drew and they're like, oh, wow. Now I understand. Well, it's actually really funny. So um, the partner that I was seeing at the time when, or like right before I wrote my TED talk, um, he was telling, like, th this is like part of how, like the, where the idea came from. He was telling me that like my poetry helped him understand things better and differently. And one time we got in an argument and he wrote a poem actually um, to try to articulate himself because he felt like he could express it better in a poem. Uh, so I thought that was kind of like cute and valuable for me as a person, regardless of like, like we don't talk at all and I haven't talked in years, but um, it was cool that that like experience happened, right? That he like thought of a line of poetry or something to make it, me understand his perspective on whatever. I can't even remember what the argument was. I just sure. remember the, sure. and I don't remember the poem either, but <laughs> I just remember it being like cool in the moment. Wow. Wow. Man, that's giving me so many ideas. That's good stuff. Um, I'm excited <laughs> to move forward. I'm excited that you are on our team. Thank you, Kelsey Bigelow. Yeah. <laughs> how, how long have you all known each other, you and Kelsey? Um, so right, so 2018, when my first book came out, that's when I went to my first open mic because I, I was only a page poet. I didn't know how to like do the whole spoken word thing. And I met her at my first open mic. Nice. How many years ago was that? 2018. Three years ago. Um, I think that's three years. This yeah. is 2021. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And I'm you all obviously stay in contact. Yeah, we were actually at Iowa Poetry Association asked me to like talk about the process of finding a publisher. So she was in the mm. call for that, and we were we were texting on the side, and that's when I, she told me about this opening. So. Nice, nice, yeah. yeah. I'm so glad she did because I think the blog element to the podcast is a great value. You know, not everybody wants to listen or even watch, you know, podcasts and, and some people just like to read. So, you know, um, having that third dimension to the podcast is, is an awesome thing. And it was, I was sad to see Kelsey go, but I'm just so glad that she was, you know, thinking of us and, and, um, you know, share that with you. So welcome to the team, Crystal. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to work with you guys. And I'm sorry I can't make the Poetry Fest on July 24th, um, but I already had, I thought it was July 27th was the New York City one, so I thought I could do both, but apparently <laughs> it's the same weekend, so. Sure, sure. no problem, no problem. That's a good segue, everybody. July 24th, the first annual 
Poet Life Fest in Washington, D.C. on July 24th. It's going to be an awesome time. Great fellowship of art and community uh, for the kids, bouncy houses, you know, just a bunch of awesome stuff, man. We're going to have live um, spoken word from local performers, lo local poets, and uh, just really excited about the connection with the community. Um, uh, the Covenant House, it's a, a shelter for teenagers uh, suffering from or experiencing homelessness. Um, the Boys and Girls Club, you know, the Arc, the, uh, the Arc Theater DC, and it's gonna be a great time. It's a large campus and plenty of parking, you know, in DC, it's just like parking is always a struggle, but we have plenty of parking. So you don't have to park on the street and be scared that you, you're gonna have a $150 ticket or something like that, you know? So uh, it's gonna be a great time. And, and if you are a vendor, um, uh, you know, whether it's food or, you know, we're doing a pop-up shop too. So if you have a business and if you have a product as well, you can, you know, vend there. It's going to be a lot of stuff. Go to poetlifefest.com. It's going to be a great time. I hope you can make it. And it is free. It is free to the community. So come and enjoy yourself. Crystal, thank you so much for sharing this time with me at the Poet Life Podcast. I think this episode is going to shine some light on so many people um, and what they can do with their art and uh, with explanations to certain people. Maybe it's a judge. I don't know. You know, so uh, thank you for giving examples, but also being an example. I truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me and letting me share my story. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Most definitely. So uh, you... <laughs> You're, 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 that means soon that you'll be writing your own blog post and uh, uh, look forward to reading it. And this episode will more than likely uh, be posted tomorrow, actually. So Sounds everybody great. watching, get ready and check it out. So thank you so much, uh, everybody. Go to thepoetlife.com. Check us out. Everything that we have going on, all of that information and footage is there. If you have any questions and want to reach out to us, you can reach out through the website, uh, but also Instagram at Poet Life Podcast or even The Poet Life. Crystal, if you could leave something with the folks listening, watching, or reading, what would that be? Um, don't be afraid to, to explore and play, even if your poetry looks different from the poetry that you've seen or been taught. Find a way. Find a way. Ain't no time now. You in the way. That is a perfect way to end this episode. It's the Poet Life Podcast. Everybody, have a great week. Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com.